0: It is always an honor and privilege to preach in this pulpit. And thank you, Pastor Kenny, for your kind words and encouragement. God's been good to us. It's been a good year for Barbara and I. We are very thankful for his blessing. and We're uh, you know, enjoying life. God has been good. We're thankful. This morning we looked at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 tonight. Our goal today was just simply encouragement. This is a book about the Christian life. You can think about it as being a book about joy because joy and rejoice occurs again and again. In fact, it's in each chapter of the book. You can also think of it as a book about unity and church unity. We're strong when we're together and united, and when Satan divides us, then we lose our effectiveness. But I've chosen to use the outline that's about the Christian life. Chapter 1 was the... the, uh, Partnership of the Christian life. We looked at the faith of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, and the fellowship of the gospel. We thought of what a fellowship, and that's how we ended the service. What a fellowship, what a joy divine. Chapter two really is the pattern of the Christian life, and that, of course, is Christ. This is a great passage on Christ's humility in emptying himself and uh, taking on the form of a man, living as a man, dying on the cross for us. And because of his his act, God has given him a name which is above every name, and someday every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is the Christ. Timothy is mentioned also as a pattern, and so is Epaphroditus, who had been the messenger that brought the gift of the Philippians to Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome, He also is the one that took the letter back to the Philippians, a thank you note. And that's what this book is. Chapter 3 is uh, proof positive that that Paul was a Baptist preacher. Because he says in verse 1, finally, brethren. He was only half done. You know what it means when a Baptist pastor looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. Well, it's a prize of the Christian life. The key verse is verse 14, I press toward the mark, toward the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Now in chapter 4, we're going to look at three promises. Now there's more in the chapter than I have time to convey, and I hope that you'll read the book. It's just a very encouraging book. It's a book about, that just kind of will bless your heart. But there are three promises that are given in this passage that I'd like you to think about that has to do with the Christian life. The first one is peace. Beginning in verse one, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, my long for, my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now, you get the idea that Paul liked these folks. He loved them. They're his joy. He talks about him being his crown. Uh, These are special people in his life. I beseech you, Judea, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord, I entreat thee also true Loke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with my other fellow laborers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Father, take your word now, (laughs) encourage us, convict us where we need conviction, but encourage us tonight through your word. Thank you for these promises, promises we can stand on in Jesus' name, amen. The first promise is the peace of God. You and I have peace with God that was settled when we were saved. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. The enmity that was between us and God has now been removed. We we were alienated now from God. Now we are adopted by God. We were strangers and now we are sons of God. That peace has been established, but we need the peace of God. There are two things that can rob you of peace. Number one is anger. Now, verse 2 gives us the suggestion of two ladies that apparently were not getting along. Warren Wiersbe calls them, you owe me and soon touchy. Their names are actually Udia and Syntyche. And apparently they were laborers. Apparently they were workers uh, in the church. Apparently they didn't get along for some reason. So this was a problem. And so he says, hey, you two ladies get together, get the same mind. You're there to serve the Lord. Get together. Now, I think it would be very embarrassing to have your name in the Bible <laughs> because you didn't get along, wouldn't it? I mean, don't you think that would be a rather embarrassing thing? To, you know, there I am. For all eternity, every Christian who reads that book is going to know we had problems. What were they arguing about? Probably nothing. My first church, I had two ladies, that their second church, rather, had two ladies that both thought they owned the church kitchen. And... Whichever one had used it last, the next one coming in always thought the other one had not taken care of stuff. They hadn't put things away or the way, all that kind of stuff. Both wonderful workers. We needed them both, but they just couldn't get along with each other. So we had to kind of separate them and, you know, we never did really solve that problem. So Paul here says, come on, ladies, get together. What was the cause of the, we don't know, but anger, anger will rob you of peace. You get angry at someone and your peace goes right out the window. You're going to just, you know, and you become a kind of a victim of that person that you're angry about because you think about them all the time and it just robs you of your joy. Uh, It's just simply not worth it. And then the second thing is anxiety. Anxiety. Worrying about stuff. The word in verse uh, 6, be careful for nothing. That has the idea of being anxious for nothing. Not telling us to be careless, that would be foolish, but the old English word has the idea of anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. That's not easy to do. I have a friend that uh, was going in for surgery, brain surgery, on Friday. Uh, He had surgery. He posted on Facebook. He's a Christian. He's a member of First Bible Baptist Church. Uh, Pastor, you may know him. His name is Rick Grape. Rick was told by the doctor and his family was told that he had to have surgery or he would die, had a brain tumor. It was a very sensitive part of his brain, and the likelihood is he would not come out whole. There would be brain damage. He posted on Facebook, I'm claiming the passage in Daniel chapter 3, where the three Hebrew children said to, to the king, our God is able, but even if not, even if not. Now, that's the peace of God in action. The Word of God tells us to, to mark those who are among us. You know, one of the things about growing old, and that little brochure on, on the truth about growing old, is part of what you need to do is watch older people and how they handle the trials of life. They've gone through some storms, they're facing death, they're facing limitations, and yet they can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. I was 16 years old when uh, Joey Butcher passed away. Joey rode our school bus. His dad was a farmer, and my dad was a farmer, and we knew each other, and I knew him. He went to the same church, and Joey got cancer, and Joey died at 12 years of age. His mom at the funeral was comforting people that came. And I remember as a 16-year-old kid, whatever she has, I want. I want that kind of peace when I face life's storms. You are going to face storms. There are going to be trouble. But God says you can have peace. Now, anxiety and anger really kind of reside in the heart But there's another area where anger anger and anxiety, and that's in your mind. The word of God goes on to say, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. What do you think about? You know, some people immediately think negative. The doctor says we need to do some tests. Oh, I must have cancer. Probably not. I mean, it's possible, but it's probably not. Don't take the negative view of everything. Think on the positive things. Think of how good God has been to you. Now, you could focus on the problems. Now, one of the things today, I didn't want to focus on all the nonsense that's going on in Washington and Albany. Sometimes that's kind of my report and, telling you what's happening. But you know, God's at work. I told you this morning it looks like the world is falling apart. The truth of the matter is God's bringing it all together. Think on these things. Think of what God has done for you in the past, how he's blessed your life, how he's met your needs, how he's answered your prayers. Think on these things and what will happen. These things which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Do. So there's a thinking that needs to go on, and then there's a doing that needs to happen. Do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You know, we all want the peace of God. We want to have the peace of God, a calmness in the midst of the storm. What a wonderful promise. And part of the key to that is rejoice in the Lord always again, I say, rejoice, rejoice. You know, one of the reasons I love coming here is your singing is always so uplifting. You folks sing like you mean it. You know, I'm in churches where they sing, I have the joy, joy, joy. You know, some Christians look like they've been sucking on lemons. You know, you have a face of a mule. Uh, Put a smile on your face, you know. If you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, my father-in-law used to bug me. He was my fishing partner. He was my pastor for years. We'd go fishing. Something go wrong in my boat, and he would start singing, "I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart." I used to say, "Think, shut up, Dad!" <laughs> you know, I just cried. But you know, that's how we ought to face life—not thinking of the terrible things that are happening and all the stuff we're, you know, you worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus said, "Don't worry about that stuff. I'll take care of you." I'll take care of you. Did he take care of your needs yesterday? Yes. Did he take care of your needs today? Yes. Then why are you doubting about tomorrow? Trust him today. He will meet your needs today. Sufficient unto a day is its own evil. you got enough things to think about today, but think on the positive and rejoice in the Lord. Man, we have a God who's awesome. Nothing's too hard for him. (coughs) Excuse me. Promise number two. Paul talks a little bit about his own experience. In verse 12, he thanks them for their gift. And then in verse 11, not that I speak of want, verse 11, for I have learned both whatever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Now, I can speak from personal experience. It's more fun to abound than it is to be abased. Think about that for a second. But Paul says, you know, I can take either one. Uh, he says, and everywhere and all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to fail need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheth me. Amen. Second promise is power. Power. God has promised to give us the power, the strength we need to face the trials of our life. Second Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. He's given us the the power to resist temptation. There's no temptation taking you, but such is his common demand. But God will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And then for the task that he's called you to do, Acts 1, 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Whatever God's called you to do, he will give you the power to do it. Amen. Whatever it is, he's given you, you you're to witness or to raise a family or to be a father. I remember being scared when our firstborn was born. I called my dad and said, Dad, I'm not ready. He said, well, it's too late to think about that now, son. <laughs> you know, should have thought nine months ago, but, well... God gives you the strength that you need to do what you need to do. He's promised that. That's his promise. We have power. It's not that we won't have trials. Trials will come. Trials will go. Annie Johnson Flint wrote a poem that I put in my Bible, on the back of my Bible, because it means a lot to me. God hath not promised, skies always blue. Flower-strown pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God hath not promised we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He hath not told us we shall not bear many a burden. Many a care, but God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God hath not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel, needing no guide, never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turgent and deep, but God hath promised Strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. Whatever you're going through, friend, God has promised to see you through. He's promised to give you the power, the strength that you need to face the challenges of the day. He's always promised and he always comes through. Power, power. And then in verse 19, the last one, but God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God has promised to take care of all of our need. The Philippians had sent a financial gift to the apostle. He appreciated it, he reminded them that, you know, if they hadn't done it, God would supply in some other way but he was thankful for their gift and he appreciated what they did but then he says you know my god will supply all your need have you learned yet you can't outgive god you, you you he won't be in your debt he just simply won't be you really can't outgive god uh, you, you find that god you know if you're withholding from your your tithe that i believe in tithing 10% of your income belongs to god if you withhold that, I think God will withhold some of his blessings from you. But I think if you give that, you say, well, I can't afford to. The problem is you're not trusting God. If you trust God, what did he say? He said, I will supply all of your need. But it doesn't work out on paper. Great. We serve a God who doesn't, is not limited to paper. Okay. You can't necessarily figure it out because we have a miracle working God. A God who can supply and meet your every need. And He never fails. He's not always in a hurry, but He's always on time. Sometimes last minute. Well, God is good. God is great. He's our God. Do you know Him? Are you walking with the King? The Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, wants to encourage the Philippians to move on in the Christian life, to realize that there is a God in heaven who will bless them and meet their needs. In this chapter, he promises he'll give you peace, the peace of God, as well as the peace with God. Then he promises power to meet the challenges of the day. And thirdly, he promises a provision. My God shall supply all your need sometime when you have time go through the book of philippians and notice all the times he says the word all he speaks of loving them all he speaks here of all your need god is a god of all god is the god who brings all of us together and what a fellowship we have in him you can trust him today you can walk with the king what a privilege to know jesus christ as our personal lord and savior and then fellowship with him day by day, experiencing his peace as we rejoice in the Lord, experiencing his power as we do the things that God's called us to do, and then finding his supply to meet our every need. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? We say in God we trust, but do we? That's our national model, but I'm afraid we've forgotten God as a nation. You and I need to point people to another way, a better way, the way of truth, life, the way of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege we have to serve a God who meets our every need. You've been so good to us, God. You gave us life. You've given us eternal life. And now you've promised to care for us in the Christian life to meet our need. Father, I pray for those who may not be trusting you as their Savior. We pray that tonight would be their night of decision. We pray for those who are not trusting you as their king. We pray, God, that tonight would be a night of surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.